planning will focus on providing essential health care services, including medical checkups, adult and child care, and health education to individuals and families who may not have access to these services otherwise. Additionally, we will also collaborate with local churches and organizations to ensure the sustainability of our efforts beyond the mission itself. Did I not push the button? I did. Okay. Uh, I hope and pray that God will back us up big time as we need help with various expenses such as medical supplies, transportation, accommodation, outreach materials, and so on. So if anybody wants to, I think it would be a long-term thing, but if you want to help with this, even short-term, but hopefully long-term, uh, they're looking to uh, have a medical mission there in the PI, so uh, over in the Philippine Islands. So um, uh, let me know if that interests you and you want to help out with that. And then uh, let's see here. Jonathan's son has an infection um, after surgery a week ago, and so keep him in prayer. Uh, Beth Colvin is in the hospital at Venice, Sarasota Memorial, Venice. So if uh, she's got COVID, and I have not been able to find out if I can visit or not. And so I'm waiting. Um, I sent Jack in a message because I don't have his cell phone number, and I haven't heard back. So. Uh, well, I don't think they will either, and that's why I don't want to drive to Venice, just to find out that they won't let me in, because normally they will not. Um, let's see here. We want to keep a certain group of people over in the Mideast in prayer. Uh, lots of difficult times over there, and uh, uh, it just it's very, very sad what's going on. Uh, more than anything, I would pray that uh, not so much for people's security and safety as for their salvation. I mean, that's, you know, I actually had a dream two nights ago that uh, when the fighting was over, I, was, I went to Gaza and was evangelizing the people there. I mean, that's how much I care about this, is it was just uh, like a real dream. It wasn't just one of those, it was, I actually woke up from it, and I thought, you know, those people need Jesus too. And so, you know, I, they're going to be in probably the shape where they need to hear something very, very uh, soon, you know, just, or they're going to get back in their old ways. So, yes. Uh, it's raining, and we want to thank the Lord for rain as well. Look at that. Thank you. Yeah, and then finally, I uh, went to the Thai restaurant as I normally do on Thursday, and I walked in, and I was accosted by Dr. and Mabel. They got back, and that was the first place they went to. So they have their priorities right, at least. Um, they're way too tired to make it. They didn't have any food in the house at all, and they were just so tired. They said, we're not going to be at class tonight, but Dr. and Mabel are back. So very, very happy, and we'll go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you for the chance to come to you and to lay these and other things before you and to pray for the people on both sides of this conflict that need Jesus. Above all else, we pray for that. Uh, we know that your hand is with the people of Israel. There's no doubt about it. You've reestablished them for your reasons and for the uh, future coming millennium. And so uh, uh, we just rejoice in that. And we just pray for safety and security for them as they go about the business they're doing. And at the same time, for the people on the other side that so desperately need Jesus as a, an, a group. There's just a few Christians in the whole Gaza area. And so... Uh, it's a very difficult situation, and we just pray that people will respond favorably to the gospel, getting that message to them somehow. Uh, Lord, we uh, uh, thank you that Dr. Mabel got back here safely, and we thank you that uh, uh, Chuck and Bill are here safely from Ohio today and having a Bible study with us, and we just pray they'll have a good time here in sunny Sarasota, Florida. And uh, Lord, we just love you. We pray for this class. We pray that uh, things will be said properly and uh, 
uh, in accord with your word and your will. And uh, we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Sunny Sarasota is raining a little bit right now, but that's good because uh, did it rain at the uh, house at all today, Hidako? Oh, good. See, she said yes, so I'm, I'm happy now. No need to jump off. No need to jump off a building. Okay, uh, we'll lead, read this and then go on. This is October 12th, A Pinch of Poison. Luke, who bolted New Testament events into world history, refers to Roman Emperor Claudius in Acts 11 and 18. Tiberius Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, born shortly before Christ, became Roman emperor in 41 at age 50. As a young man, he had suffered infantile paralysis and his long spindly legs barely supported his frame. Uh, his head wobbled when he walked, he stuttered, and he laughed in outbursts. When angered, he foamed at the mouth and trickled at the nose. But when he became emperor, he surprised everyone by showing promise. He lowered taxes, extended the empire into Britain and Mauritania, and refused to be worshipped as a god. Many were granted Roman citizenship under his rule. Civil service was expanded, the legal system was reformed, and public works grew. It didn't last. The latter years of Claudius were marred by intrigue. Much of it centered around his wife Agrippina. The emperor's first wife had died on their wedding day. Others had been divorced or slain. Then he met and married the wily Agrippina. The empress at age 32 had but one aim, to secure the throne for her own son. To do that, she had to dispatch both Claudius and his son Britannicus. As she assumed more and more power, she plotted the deaths of her enemies and unleashed a reign of terror. It took Claudius <coughs> excuse me, five years to realize what was happening, and by then it was too late. On October 12, 54, she fed him mushrooms and uh, well seasoned with a yes, she fed him mushrooms well seasoned with a potent pinch of poison. He suffered 12 agonizing hours, unable to speak a word before dying. Britannicus eventually tasted poison as well. Agrippina's son became emperor. He thanked her by plotting her murder. First, he tried poisoning her, but she knew all the tricks. He next tried drowning her, but she swam to safety from the prearranged shipwreck. Finally, paid assassins plunged swords into her womb. Viewing her uncovered corpse, the young emperor remarked, I did not know how so beautiful a mother. I had so beautiful a mother. Hmm. His name was Nero. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, during this time, some prophets from Jerusalem came to Antioch. One of them was Agabus. Then with the help of the spirit, he told that there would be a terrible famine everywhere in the world. And it happened when Claudius was emperor from Acts 11. So there you go. He said when Big trouble for you. Yeah, Agabus. Agabus, that's right. Oh my goodness gracious. Okay, so we have, uh, we're in um, book of 2 Thessalonians, we're in chapter 2, and uh, if my uh, foresight is correct, we should be done with chapter 2 today. Oh, we'll, see if the, we'll see if that works out or not. It might be close, but we'll see. We're in 2-4, so you start wherever you want. Go back and begin with the man of lawlessness. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord 
has already come. That guy should read that that I talked to. Absolutely. Like, Hello. Okay, three. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Mm. Four. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Okay. Uh, almost the same, but uh, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Okay, now obviously praetorism can't be true. We can throw that right out the uh, window because that's never happened. Nobody sat in the temple of uh, uh, Israel at the time just after Paul and did that. I, obviously Antiochus Epiphanes kind of prefigured him hundreds of years earlier, but Paul is writing this as a future and it never happened. And so, um, you know, maybe I give some comments on it, maybe I don't, if I don't I can, um, bring that up but we'll see what the what the uh, pages say here first so anyway we'll go back really quickly just to go over what I talked about last week is that uh, the thing that is being described here hinges on verse 2 not verse 1 verse 1 is the gathering together at the rapture okay and then it says and it's very clear what it says um, he says, you know, maybe you've heard this, maybe uh, a letter's come or something. He's, he's giving examples, all right? The rapture hasn't come, okay? And if you've heard something like this, as though the day of Christ had come. He's not speaking about the gathering together. He's speaking about the day of Christ, okay? That is the hinge. That is what Paul is focusing on. The rapture is incidental to that, not the other way around, okay? Because... Um, uh, what it, in other words, they're saying, okay, Paul says that there's going to be a gathering of believers, all right? And if somebody comes along and he says, well, the day of Christ has come, Paul says that's impossible because that is going to happen and the rapture will happen before that happens. You see what he's done? That's, he's, he's beginning with this and then he's going to this, but this is what sets the tone. And I don't know how people can get that wrong. I, it, it's so clear what he's saying. I'm here and I'm writing a letter and I say, well, you know, uh, Festus, uh, the day of the Lord has come. And Paul says, well, concerning our gathering together, our being gathered together with the Lord. He says, if anybody sends you a letter, don't listen to him as if the day of the Lord has come. That's what he's speaking about. The gathering together, once again, is incidental to this. That's the way languages work. That's the way the word structure works. So when he says that, that's what he means. It, 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 that's what he's saying. Okay? I, I don't know how to say it any clearer so that people get that. But the reference is the day of the Lord. It is the tribulation period. And constantly, I've been seeing this as long as I can remember, people saying, we have entered the tribulation period. Has anybody heard that? I, I, I've, I've heard this constantly. And, you know, back in 2005, we went to Israel with a girl that mom knows who I'm talking about. She insisted that we were in the tribulation period. And I'm like, that's not possible. Just pick up the Bible, read what it says right here. And But she's one of the people that Paul is writing about. Mm -hmm. A deceiver that is saying, we're in the day of the Lord. It can't be. 
So that is what Paul is speaking of. That is the reference. There's no other reference. So I, I, it's very, very clear that that is what he's saying. So we'll go on from there, three. Um, as if the day of the uh, Christ to come, let no, uh, let no one deceive you by any means for that day, the day of the Lord, the, the tribulation period will not come unless the falling away comes first. We talked about that last week. And the man of sin is revealed. So our gathering will happen before the day of the Lord and the day of the Lord will not come until the man of sin is revealed, right? The man of sin is the one that will sign the peace deal with Israel. It's black and white. And so if he says that, if he says that that is the case and the man of sin has not been revealed, then the day of the Lord cannot have come. It's not possible. So he's giving you a defense and then he is going to, I hope we're going to get to it soon so you can see this. All right. Yeah. Uh, we're going to see down in verses seven and eight that we will not know who the Antichrist is. Okay, so let's let's look at this logically now. We have the day of the Lord. The rapture will happen before the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will not happen until the man of sin is revealed. And Paul says that we will not know who the man of sin is because we're gone before that. So my thought, without even getting into these verses, is why would we worry about who the Antichrist is? Why would you spend two minutes of your time reading a book about who the Antichrist is? Because we're not going to know. He will not be revealed. It's going to be clear. And then from there, he is the one that initiates the seven years promised to Israel in Daniel 9. It goes step, 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 step. That's it. That's the timeline that Paul has given. I was going to ask you to maybe put the illustration on on a board because I was trying to follow, but I got confused. Oh, okay. Um, Here we go. Simple, like word by word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we have, um, Paul says that um, the day of the Lord is, uh, where is it? Uh, Verse 1, he says the day of the, uh, the, our gathering day. He says, this is our gathering. Uh, We'll just say the rapture. Okay. Whatever people want to call it. Maybe it's a party down on Main Street. Okay. But that's the gathering together of the people. Okay. And he says here, um, I was going to do this later when we got to the man of sin, but that's okay. No, 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 no. Um, That's fine. I was going to do this and lay it all out like this, but I'm glad that you did it because then we can do it again and it'll make more sense. Okay. Uh, The brethren that are coming. uh, Oh, got to be in the right book, Charlie, or in 2 Thessalonians. Um, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together at him. We're going to call that the rapture, okay? And then he says, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word. That's somebody writing him a letter. And he says, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. The day of Christ, the day of the Lord. So this is the day of the Lord right here, okay? The day of the Lord. And we'll do, I'm not going to write out tribulation period, but that's what it's speaking of. It's the tribulation period. It's the period where the Lord judges the earth, okay? Um, so, that day isn't going to come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. So, there's going to be a falling away. We'll say right here. Uh, uh, how do we say that? Falling away. Now, that's going to happen, okay? Okay, that... That was probably something. You shouldn't have done that. Uh, that's okay. Uh, go ahead. I, I, yeah, um, that that's okay. Um, Where's your club? Well, I, I yeah. See, I can't write on that because it's wet, and okay. until it does, um, 
Uh, okay. Um, so, the rapture. They, uh, they I, I gotta wait. I, I, yeah, okay. We've but got, now they've seen it, now it makes more sense. It may, yeah, okay. and that's what we need to do, is we need to have things laid out. Yeah, but once it, you write it down, it yeah. makes more sense. Anyway, I can't write on there because because it's wet. <laughs> if I write it, it'll never come off. So uh, we'll, we'll come back to it whenever it dries out. Um, so Charlie, the falling away, that hasn't started now? I mean, Oh, absolutely not. That's not what that's speaking of at all. It says, okay. here, here's what it says. The falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. They're at the same time. There's something that's going to happen. I have an eraser that I use for this, so I don't have to ha have that happen. Um, I'm still not going to be able to use this for quite a while. So um, if you had told me what you were going to do, I could have taken care of this. But uh, no, I, no, I don't want anything. Um, we're just going to have to let this go for a while. Um, and I'm going to have to rewrite everything that I wrote. So um, yeah, that's why I was going to do that next week or in two weeks, whenever we get to that verse. But that's okay. Um, um, okay, so we'll do this. It'll be dry in a few minutes. It's dried quickly after that. Okay, so it is. Okay, well, then let's do that right now. Okay, so we ha I got to do this again now. Um, we have the coming of the Lord Jesus. We're going to call that the rapture. Now, I'm going to put this, I'm not going to put it in a logical sequence. I'm just going to write the events down so that you can remember it. Rapture here, and I hope that people online can see yeah, the board. See okay, uh, that's okay. The next one is don't be soon shaken. Um, by a word as if from us. So this is somebody writing a letter. We're just going to make a little letter here. And this is somebody, don't be, let this bother you, okay? Don't let this bother you. That there, don't let it bother you. They say that the day of the Lord has come. So this letter is referring to the day of the Lord. It's referring to the tribulation period, okay? Day of the Lord. Don't let this bother you. This is the anchor, not this. This is the anchor, verse 2. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. It's kind of like one event. There's a falling away in the world, uh, which obviously would be something after the rapture, because if there are people that claim to be Christians, like the Pope or something that are here, they have to deny that that happened. You see what? So anyway, we'll say the, um, uh, what was it? Uh, it's uh, uh, the falling away and the man of sin. Falling, this is kind of like one thing. He puts it in one thought. Falling away and man of sin. Okay, there. And then man of sin, which we could just say AC and that'll make it easier. So we've got that. Okay, this is still the reference. This is the reference. If somebody writes you and says this, don't worry about that because this has to happen first. This has to precede that. That comes first, okay? And then it says, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called uh, whatever, okay? So now we know that this, oh, well, we don't know this yet, okay? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in our gathering together, this is what he's worried about. Don't worry about that because this has to come first. And this won't come first until this happens, okay? But we'll get to the rest of it when we get to the verses later, okay? Which is, he's going to say, I, I, I don't want to get ahead, because oh, okay. if I do... So, so, one question somebody told me uh, 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 one of these days, saying what, what's going on in Israel is like the birth things. Is that... Okay, that's I, I have got many, 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 many emails about what's happening in Israel. And, you know, I, I hate to even address the issue, but... Um, uh, what's happening in Sarasota, Florida right now is leading to the end times. 
what's happening in Japan right now is leading to the end times. Everything that is happening in this world is a part of this world. Okay, Israel is the focus, that's true. But I would not say that this is the birth pangs and try to throw that into there. That's, Jesus was saying that about Israel, to Israel, and he's clearly speaking of the end times. We're not there yet. And so I would not use that terminology. Other people say, well, uh, Psalm, what is it, 83? I can't remember where uh, Israel swoops down on Philistia. That's being fulfilled right now. None of that is the case, okay? This is a war that is leading to the end times. All right. So that would be sometime the day of the Lord, then, you think? Oh, absolutely. It, it would be any time after the rapture. Okay. Okay. I would not say that that's now. But, you know, people love to say that the time that we are in is the time that things are happening. And if you go back over the past 2,000 years and you read the writings of people, like um, uh, you read the writings of the people at the millennium, the first millennium, they thought that they were in the end times. That everybody wants to believe that right now is when things are happening. Uh, 30 years ago, if you go back and listen to the old sermons from people 30 years ago, or even uh, at 1967 with the recapture of Jerusalem, that was it. The Lord is coming tomorrow. I mean, th that is, that's all that you hear from some people. We want so desperately as a species to be the God is coming. We just don't want to be here and we'd rather be with Jesus. And especially Christians, this is the end times. It has to be. And so people take all of these analyses that I've, you know, hundreds of them that I've seen over the past couple days, and they shove our time into the biblical narrative as if this is it. It's all it. It's all moving to the end times. But we're not at the point where these things are happening. Why? Because we're still here. Okay? We're leading to this point, but we're not there yet. Go ahead. Um. And if you don't want to address this, I know you have a lot to do. That's okay. Um, Ezekiel 38. Yeah. Okay, Ezekiel 38 is a battle that's coming. We have no idea when. Ezekiel 38 may come before the rapture. It may come after the rapture. You know, my thought has always been, and this is simply because it's hard to get things out of your head when you hear them. And years ago, Zola Levitt used to talk about that a lot. And so I kind of have that Zola Levitt thought in my head is that it's probably, not definitely, but probably the rapture will precede the tribulation period. I'm sorry, will precede um, the rapture. And it would give a good excuse for why Christians are gone. People just, they're focused on the rest of the world. They're not worried. Here's a perfect example of what I'm trying to tell you without me getting in my own way. What happened in Afghanistan last week? Okay, two people answered. I was going to say don't answer it. I knew oh, you knew. Okay, that's okay. I wanted to see how many other people knew. One person besides you. Okay, earthquake. 2,000 people died. That's not the focus of the world right now. Okay, the people in Afghanistan that died have not made any news. They're not getting planes flown in. Everybody's focused on Israel. You see my point there? Okay, so... I, we just have to take things the way that they are in the world. And uh, if the uh, Gog Magog happens and the whole world is focused on that, it won't matter if Christians around the world disappear. They're not going to be focused on that. And then they can come up with all kinds of excuses after the fact. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I, I just, when 2,000 people die and very few people even know about it, that tells you that people are very easily distracted. 
it will be simple to come up with an explanation. And like I said, I had never thought about it until three weeks ago when somebody emailed me. But if our bodies are physically left behind, which is not improbable, it's it's not definitely yes and it's not definitely no, but that would give a really good reason for saying, well, they just died. You know, something happened and whatever. I have no idea. I'd never even thought of that before, but it makes sense to me because if people actually disappear, that's going to make a lot less sense. I don't care what anybody's explanation today is. They've got it all figured out in advance. It's not that easy to dismiss, okay? But when people suddenly, they're just gone, hundreds of thousands of people are just dead and their bodies are laying there, that's easier to dismiss than them being gone completely. Anyway, I don't care about that issue. It's just something I love to think about now because I'd never thought of it. Um, but um, uh, the, uh, the point is whatever. I personally would think that Gog Magog will precede the rapture or be at the time of the rapture because it's a great distraction. Doesn't mean that's correct. And it could happen after the rapture, you know, whatever. It could be. Gog Magog probably also, you know, something, you know, we think that uh, there's going to be a temple on the Temple Mount, right? I mean, we know that's going to happen, but I'm talking about the world. There's going to be a, what is going to allow that? Uh, right, but what is going to allow that? It's not going to be. Uh, you know, if they sign a peace treaty with Saudi Arabia tomorrow, that will not change anybody's mind about no Temple Mount, no temple on the Temple Mount. That will not change anybody's mind, okay? We've already had several countries that have signed peace treaties, and not one of them has even considered allowing a temple. Israel is going to have to be in such a position where they can say, we want this as a part of our deal. And there has to be a deal that is willing to make that concession. It, like I said, it's not going to happen with a peace treaty with Saudi Arabia. It's not going to happen with a peace treaty with the whole Middle East. Because they're still going to say, we don't want a temple on there. It's going to have to be, and this is why I would think, something has got to be big enough to say, we will allow Israel to build a temple. And winning Gog Magog, the way it's described in the Bible, would be that thing. They would say, we have been utterly wiped out, an entire vast army, so big that the Bible describes it as massive. They're going to be burning at supplies for seven years. They won't need their own supplies, etc. Okay, that would be something where the world would say, we will sue for peace. We will sign a peace treaty and we will allow a temple. It's got to be something of that magnitude. And that's why I just think that maybe Gog Magog would be that. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying that it's got to be something so massive, so drastic that the rest of the world says, okay, we understand there can be a temple there. You see the logic? It's not something small. And I don't care how big the Abraham Accords is, and I don't care if they expand, like I said, to Saudi Arabia, and uh, you know they allow uh, Jews to go and walk around Mecca. That still wouldn't be big enough. It would not be big enough. They have the Temple Mount, and they do not want, as a world, to acknowledge that the Jews have a right to that piece of property. It is the most contested piece of property on the entire planet. Something is going to have to allow it to happen, okay? It's not gonna be by Israel forcing it to happen. It's going to come by a treaty, and a treaty has to be signed for a reason, okay? So um, people are saying, oh, you know, the Saudi Arabia deal is part of the uh, uh, end times peace plan. 
It's probably not. Neither was the Abraham Accords. It's just something leading to that. Everything is leading to the end times right now. Every baby that's born, every baby that's aborted. It is all leading the world to that end times, okay? When a baby is aborted, God's wrath increases, okay? Everyone that is aborted eventually will result in God's wrath being poured out, okay? Everything is leading to it, but we're not there, okay? It may happen tomorrow, but we're not there right now. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe, you know, Russia is blaming these people. These people are blaming. Everybody's blaming everybody else for what happens. Everybody has got conspiracy theories coming out of every ear and every head in America, okay? That's all fine, but there has to be reality to a situation, and right now we've got two countries that are fighting each other over a piece of land that's really not that big. The security of one of the nations is absolutely critical to not losing. They have nowhere else to go, okay? But, and we know that they're not going to go anywhere. The Bible says it, and we can trust that 100%. But um, at this point, that's the only players in there. We were talking earlier before class started that, you know, the, the Marines, they were talking about maybe sending in Marines. And all of a sudden, this could become a global thing. This could become. Right now, it is not. It is us sending weapons to Israel to re, you know, supply their stuff. And, but right now, we are not there. So all of this stuff that people are saying it, it is pointless, okay? And one, one of my friends, I think it was maybe Tuesday, it might have been Monday, and I didn't read it until Tuesday. Anyway, um, uh, they were talking. She sent me a thing, and she said, what do you think about this? It was 20 minutes of guys talking. And all they did was read emails. Well, I think, I think, I think, I think. There's no basis in anything anybody's saying. There's no reality in it. They're just saying, well, this could be, and well, this could. Why even go through that? Why listen to that kind of thing? Because there's no, there's no cohesion to anything going on in the world. It's just people saying, I think. Well, everybody thinks something. It doesn't mean that it has any reality. I don't listen to any of this kind of stuff. And I wish I didn't even listen to that, but I thought it was going to be interesting. It was complete zero, okay? There are things that are worth your time, and there are things that are not worth your time. And listening to all of this stuff about it, to me, is not worth my time. It's not, because we are not there yet, okay? And like I said, we could be there tomorrow. We could be there tomorrow, but we're not. And until we have things actually start expanding, Iran getting involved, you know, Hezbollah, if they come over the border, that will be something expanding. It may end right there. You know, so we just have to see. Hezbollah has come over that border several times in the past 50 years, right? There's been fights between them. Uh, we went through that in our own lives, seeing these fights. So I, I'm not a naysayer in Bible prophecy. I take it literally that certain things have to happen in a certain order. And if they don't happen, or if there's not something of a magnitude to allow the peace treaty to be signed, it doesn't matter. Think of it this way. If Israel wins this war in two days, Hezbollah's done. I'm not Hezbollah. Hamas, they're done. Do you think that anybody's going to say, okay, we're going to sign a peace treaty and give them a temple mount? We're not even we're, we're not even close to that. So there's no point in speculating on it. Now, if Lebanon comes in and they start fighting and Israel wins that, it's getting a little exciting. Jordan declares war, which they won't. They've already been shellacked twice and they don't want to face that again. But, you know, you get all these things that start happening. Maybe you'll have people suing for peace. We are not even there yet. So as of today, Charlie Garrett is not focusing on that. I know what the Bible says, and I'm not, because 
it hasn't started. Everything that starts happening, everything that builds, you could say, we may be there pretty soon, but we're not there. It's Israel and a little enclave, and they've been at war many times in the past some years. Right. So uh, and it, uh, it's terribly sad, the things that you and I have seen. It's terrible, but it is not we're not there, okay? Yes, everything is leading to the end times, but I do not believe we're there. Okay, does that, okay. I hope I didn't say too much on that too, but uh, anyway, okay, we got this here now. Thank we're you, not Charlie. gonna finish okay. the chapter. That was great. You what? We won't finish the chapter. Uh, we're not gonna finish the, the uh, chapter today, probably, <laughs> okay. Um, actually, we still have uh, 54 minutes, oh, so. Yeah, we might. We, we might, okay, uh, verse two four. The words which begin this verse are actually in the present tense. Rightly translated, it says, the one, I inserted the word one, the opposing and exalting himself, okay? The one opposing and exalting himself. This is speaking of the AC, okay? Uh, rightly, uh, it says, if taken substantially, it would read the opposer, the exalter of himself, okay? That's a possible translation if you take it substantially. So it's either the opposing and exalting himself or the opposer and exalter of himself. Okay, but we know what it's referring to. It clearly is a reference to the Antichrist. The words are reflective of Satan himself, but are being applied to a man. And so, you know, and now, not to make any definite connection, but we have Jesus is the Lord, but he is also God. Okay, so you can see kind of the same thing. Satan is so indwelling this person that it is as if Satan is right there. Okay, uh, he's like the substitute for Christ. Um, anyway, um, it clearly is a reference to the Antichrist. The words are reflective of Satan, but are being applied to a man, and so it is one who is wholly in league with the goals and intents of Satan. It is this man of lawlessness who, as Paul says, places himself above all that is called God or worshipped. I am it. I'm the big cheese on this planet, okay? In this phrase, it is understood that the Antichrist will place himself above the true God as well as all other false gods. He, you know, and how, how people fall for this kind of thing, I mean, you, you hear this all the time, uh, the Hirohito, he's a, a god sitting on his throne, right. and a whole nation believes that, okay? He was born out of a woman, there was a father involved, I mean, the whole thing is, how do you say this is a divine person? But, and he loses a war, and he's no longer divine. You see, that's a problem. I, I, I renounce my divinity. Like God can suddenly become not God, right? Because he lost a war. And then you have the ever lingering problem is that his son and the, those after him have not said that they are not deity. So they could come and claim again that they're deity because dad gave it up, it flowed down to us or something. So this is a problem in the world. Um, before I go on, I will say something good about Japan is that uh, uh, Naftali Hananea, um, yeah, he, he posted on uh, Telegram just about an hour. Did you see it? Oh, say shalom. They're, all the Japanese down in Shibuya, right outside, you know, in the middle of the town are singing support for Israel hundreds of Israeli flags and they're all singing in support of Israel. It was so beautiful to see. You know, just, it was very nice to see 
that they there is a group of people in Israel that they're uh, uh, I'm sorry in Japan they are Japanese Zionists they so support Israel they travel there they love to uh, you know intermingle with the people they sing the songs and so anyway it was very nice to see I, so little plug for Japan but for the nation as a whole you know if the guy comes up and he says well I'm I'm Hirohito's descendant and I am reclaiming divinity there's a very good chance that they will believe that. I'd okay. pinch him and see. They what? I'd yeah, pinch, pinch him and see. see. Yeah. yeah, the old, um, what was it, the man who would be king? Did you see that? No. Oh, Sean Connery? Uh, how did they prove he wasn't a god? Well, watch it. It was very good movie. Very, very good. Anyway, um, uh, it's an older movie. It had Michael Caine, and uh, they went to take over the Stan areas, Uzbekistan, that back in the 18th. It was a very good movie. Anyway, um, how did they find out that he wasn't a, a god after all? Um, uh, let's see here. So, uh, uh, where was I? Okay, yes, um, he's a lawless man. In this phrase, it is understood that the Antichrist will place himself above true, the true God as well as all other false gods. Total allegiance to him will be required. In essence, he will be believed to be the fulfillment of whatever hope is laid out in any religion. Okay, the Muslims have what? But what is the coming Messiah called? Madi. Now, what did you call it? Dajjal. 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 I've never heard that term. It's basically the Antichrist. Okay, so you have a Dajjal. But they, in other words, they say he's a bad guy. The Dajjal is a bad guy. Okay, I'm talking about the one that they say is coming to rule Islam, the Mahdi. Oh. You haven't heard of him? Oh, okay. Well, she doesn't follow Islam, which is good, by the way. But anyway, most religions have a figure that's coming to rule. Okay. Well, the Shia, I think all of them have the Mahdi. It's just they, they think he will be Shia or he will be Sunni. But um, uh, the Jews also will have their own person, okay? And how do we know that? Because in John 6, Jesus says, you uh, reject me whom you have, uh, uh, how does he say it? Um, uh, Burke, help me out here. Come on, Burke. Um, uh, John 6, he said, uh, you... I want well, to read. Does know just different pronunciation. Yeah, it, oh, that's right. Okay, so he said, "Let me see if I can find this very quickly. If I can't, somebody will have to find it for me." But it says, um, um, "Down from heaven and the bread came down from heaven." Um, let's see here. Um, wilderness, eat and die. I assuredly, son of man. Okay, um, that's not it. Um, okay, grandfather, do you also? Okay. I'm not seeing it. I know it's John 6, and he says, uh, another will come, and you will receive him. You don't receive me, but another will come, and you will receive him. He's speaking specifically of the Antichrist coming. Um, let me see if I, I just am not seeing it. It might not be John 6, but I'm pretty sure it is. Anyway, if, if you know what I'm talking about, um, somebody pull it up, and uh, you've got to be able to find it, Sergio. Um, another will come in my name. I come in my father's name, and you... I, it, it's coming back. My brain is slowly picking this up. Uh, John 5.43. 5. I knew it was 5. I was just seeing if you were paying attention. John 5.43. It says, I have come in my father's name, and you do not receive me. In other words, he's claiming to be the Messiah. That's the claim. And he says there that... Um, uh, going on, uh, if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. They will receive a Messiah. It's just not the true Messiah. 
okay? They've already rejected the Messiah. Hence, they're going to go through the tribulation period. But uh, thank you, John 5.43. Why couldn't I remember that? Burke, I can't believe you didn't know that. Okay, uh, but that's that's what he's talking about. That the, um, Muslims have their Mahdi. Everybody's got somebody they expect to save the, the world, okay? Um, Yuval Harari thinks it's him right now, you know? I mean, he whatever. These people are crazy. But um, for the Muslims, he will be the Mahdi, etc. But... Uh, he will even exalt himself above the gods, God or gods that he claims he is from. The Jews will say he's the Messiah, but he will demand worship of himself only. The words all that is worshipped are actually from a noun in the Greek, and so it should read object of worship. There are things that are not gods which receive adoration or worship, but he will exalt himself above any such thing. This self-exaltation will be seen in a demand for total allegiance above power, money, or even life itself. He is the guy that you're going to have to bow to. These words for countless years of the church age have been taken to mean something other than a Jewish, oh, I, I went a little ahead of myself here, on to, uh, power itself. This will be seen fully and realized on the day that Paul's words he sits as God in the temple of God. He's going to go to that temple in Jerusalem. Remember now, there has to be a reason why that temple is there. Israel has proved itself supreme. They have now built a, God, a temple to their God, which is supposedly greater than these other, you know, because they were allowed to build the temple. Before, they wouldn't ever have conceded to that. So this is going to be the epitome of arrogance by going into the the temple of the world, okay? Now, uh, I think I'm going to say it, so if I, if I don't, I'll get to it. I don't want to get ahead of myself on this. Um, so he sits as God in the temple of God. These words for countless years of the church age have been taken to mean something other than a Jewish temple. Paul wrote that he's going to sit in the temple of God, okay? And so there's no temple. There never will be again, Right? I mean, this is their thinking for the past 2,000 years. Jews are out. They'll never be like the guy you were talking to today. Okay? Oh, that's all done. The, the Jews have no relevance in prophetic history and therefore can't be a Jewish temple. Okay? That temple was destroyed, the old one, and there seemed no chance of ever one being rebuilt again. Some have taken this to mean then the Vatican. Okay, where the Pope sits. And a lot of old commentaries, you probably read some, haven't you? Where people say that this is obviously speaking of the Vatican. Because there's no Jewish temple, and Paul wrote it, and this is the word of God, it's got to be true, so that it must be the Vatican. Okay? Uh, others argue that it is referring to the Christian church in general. This guy's going to take over in the Christian church, okay? People, are, they don't believe in a temple anymore. That's not going to ever happen. So they have to think of things to rationalize this. Very few people ever thought, well, the Jews are going to be back in Israel and they are going to build a temple. Very few people. I've cited a couple of them. Adam Clark is one of them. Uh, John Gill is one of them. But for the most part, people just laughed at people like that. They're like, that'll never happen and your commentaries ought to be thrown away. And yet they were correct because they said, this is the word of God. This must happen. It must come true. And so they, they uh, you know, I, I could read you. I don't have, yes, let me read you this if I can find it. Um, and I'm talking specifically about, I think it's Amos 8, 9 or 9, 8. Um, I want to read you the commentary just so you know I'm talking about. Um, uh, Amos, where are we here? Jeremiah, oh, I'm going the wrong way, Charlie. Um, Amos, if you... 
I just need to know the last verse of Amos, and I don't want to look for it on my computer, so it's, hang on one sec, the book of Joel, it's right here, come on, Charlie. Yeah, well, it's right here, I know, but is it nine, it's Amos, uh, the last verse of the, um, okay, 9.15, okay, so let me go there really quickly, and I'll read you what I'm talking about, just so you can get a bearing of, nobody really, for the most part, believed that there would be a uh, Jewish presence back in Israel again. That was just, nobody believed that. They thought, well, that's crazy. And so uh, B-I-B-L-E-H, okay, B-I-B-L-E-H, okay, got it. Now I'm going to go to Amos 9.15. I just want to read you one or two commentaries from this, just so you know uh, that there were people that believed this, but they were not in the mainstream as far as that type of thinking. Amos 9.15, let me read you the verse first. It says, and I will plant them. This is speaking of Israel. I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of the land which I have given them, says the Lord thy God. Okay. Israel will be planted in the land, and they will never be pulled up again. And you wouldn't believe the words that some of these scholars come up with to say, well, that doesn't really mean that, or blah, blah, blah. Here's John Gill. And I will plant them upon their land, the land of Israel, as trees are planted. And they shall take root and flourish and abound with all good things, temporal and spiritual. This is a guy from the 1600s saying this. And they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. By which it appears that this is a prophecy of things yet to come. Since the Jews, upon their return to their own land, after the Babylonish captivity, were pulled up again. And rooted out of it by the Romans and remain so to this day. So if he said, I will plant them and they'll never be pulled up again, then the, the people say that's the Babylonian exile and it doesn't really mean ever again in the real sense. You hear all that kind of stuff. But this was the thinking because they could not imagine that Israel would be back in the land. But John Gill said, they've been uprooted. It can't be true. And so he says, and remain so to this day. But when they shall return again, he knew they would, they will never be more removed from it. And of this, they may he assured, because it is the land the Lord has given them. He's taking it literally, okay? And it shall not be taken away from them anymore, and because he will now appear to be the Lord their God, the Lo-Ami from Hosea 1.9, he will have taken off from them. What Paul said in uh, uh, Romans 9, those who are my people are not my people, and those who are not my people shall be called sons of the living God. He's talking about the church, and Israel is not my people. And everybody stops here, and they say, well, see, they're out. But then he says again that they are going to be his people again, and Peter confirms that using the same passage, okay? So John Gill is believing this. The lo ami, the not my people, will again be the people of God. Uh, now, I'll stop right there. I'm going to say something that a lot of people will not like to hear. But I'm going to say it anyway. Paul said it. Hosea said it. It was the Lord speaking through Hosea. Here's a, a question. I want, I want to ask you this. And just answer how you think you should answer. Are the Jews, Israel today, the Lord's people? Yes, yes, yes. Soon. He's not answering. I'm a Soon. Jew. It's a trick question. I know it. I'm talking about the nation of Israel. Soon. The answer is no. Paul said it. Paul said no. They are not my people. The church is my people. 
They are lo ami, not my people. Hosea says it. Now, there's a chiasm that I found in Hosea that shows you all of this. They are not the people of the Lord right now in the sense that they are not the focus of what the Lord is doing, okay? They are the Lord's people forever in the sense that they will again be the Lord's people. You have to read Paul for what he says. They are not my people. I will call them not my people. That doesn't mean they're not really his people, but he's calling them not my people because right now the church is my people. You see that? So if you say these are the people of the Lord, you can say yes, but, but not now. They are promised forever to be the Lord's people, but they are not in a right standing with the Lord now. Everybody see that? I know that is going to upset a lot of people, and they're going to go home and say, Charlie Garrett's a heretic or whatever. That is what the Word of God says, and that is what John Gill, almost 500 years ago, was correct on. Let me read it again, and I'll continue with his commentary. This is all relevant to what we're reading about right sure. here. So it says, the low ami, the not my people, which is what Paul calls them, right in Romans 9, Hosea 1, 9, he will taken off from them. They will be owned to be the Lord's people. They will be. We can't say that because they're back in the land of Israel, they're the Lord's people. Why? Because they have not received Jesus. Jesus is the answer. He low amid them because they rejected his son. When they call on him, they will again be the Lord's people. They are the Lord's people, but only in the sense that he is covenanted never to destroy them, and he will bring them into a right relationship with them. Everybody got that? They're not my people, but they are his people. Okay, just make sure in your mind you have that distinction. Okay, now when you said, well, I, you're okay, because you are a believer in Jesus. And therefore, you are the Lord's people. Well, you were talking corporate versus Corporate individual. versus individual. Absolutely. Right now, corporate Israel is not saved. They're not. Somebody emailed me that, that today. What's going to happen to the Jews that died in this war? And I told them about Jesus. Okay. A Jew in Israel is exactly the same as a person on the streets of Brooklyn. If he rejects Jesus, he rejects Jesus. That is not a saved person. Okay. People have to come through Jesus. There is no salvation apart from Jesus. If people don't like hearing that for whatever reason, I can't change it. That's what the word says. There is one way to restoration with God. People in Israel are given the gospel. They know it. They hear it. People, Messianics are over there telling them. They hear about it and they say, I don't want any part of that. That is a human choice. We got people all over New York that do it every single day and twice on Saturday. I don't want anything to do with Jesus, whatever. Okay, so... Um, uh, he's taken it off. They will be owned to be the Lord's people, and he will be known by them to be their covenant God. He's not their covenant God right now. They are under the curses of Deuteronomy 28. They rejected him. They were brought back into the land. They are being prepared to go into seven more years of law worship, not because that's what the Lord wants, but that is what the Lord has allowed because he knows it will bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen, we went through that in Joshua one, two, three, four, and five. Very clearly, the salvation of national Israel. It was all pictured there. Those sermons tell you everything that is coming as far as national Israel. The church is in, Israel is out. The church is going to be raptured. Eventually, after seven years, Israel will call on Jesus. It's all right there in those early Joshua sermons. Okay, continue with John Gill. Uh, 
they will be uh, there he will be their covenant god which will ensure all the above blessings to them of whatsoever kind for this is either said to the prophet the lord thy god that's he signed it the lord signed it at the end of the book of amos or to israel and either way it serves to confirm the same thing Everybody else is saying there'll never be a temple. There'll never be a Jewish nation again. There's a couple Jews out there. They've been rejected by the Lord. They're not his people. And John Gill was bold enough to stand up hundreds of years ago, 500 almost, and say, I disagree. I disagree. And then what is, I'm going to read you one more because it's that important. I'm going to take you to um, Adam Clark. And he goes down to Amos 9.15. And he said, I'm going to read, he, he, he cites the verse and I will plant them upon their land. They shall receive a permanent establishment there. That is his words. And then he says, and they shall no more be pulled up, citing the verse. Most certainly, this prophecy has never yet been fulfilled. They were pulled up by the Assyrian captivity and that of Babylon. Many were planted in again and again, pulled out by the Roman conquest and captivity and were never since planted in, but are now scattered among the nations of the earth. I conclude, Adam Clark, I conclude as the word of God cannot fail, and as this has not yet been fulfilled, it therefore follows that it will and it must be fulfilled to the fullness of its spirit and intention. And this is established by the conclusion, saith the Lord thy God. He is Jehovah and it cannot fail. This is a person that trusted the word above everybody around him at the time. And cannot fail. He is thy God and will do it. He can do it because he is Jehovah. And he will do it because he is thy God. Amen. What a great way to end that chapter on his commentary. My hair is standing up all over my arm. He is going to do what he promised for that group of people. And I've said, I've gone so far as to say, if you see Israel tucked out of the land of Israel again, Chuck this. It will never happen. It will not happen. This is as sure as, it's more sure than anything that surrounds us. This is the word of God. Adam Clark was right. John Gill was right. And all these other stupid commentaries from the past 2000 years, they just were not willing to stand on the word of God. And that's where we have to stand. When he says, they're not my people, they're not his people. It doesn't matter how much we love Israel, they are not in a right covenant relationship with them, and that's why we want to send money to have people evangelize them. We want to support the Messianics in the country just like we would in any country. Get them to know the word. Get them to know the Lord because hell on earth is coming, and it won't be long probably, okay? So I just take it literally. I take it literally when it comes to Israel. I support them. I was sitting back there today. I was uh, finishing things up and I was sitting there and I was saying, I feel so sometimes hypocritical that I pray for Israel the way I do when there are people in Gaza that are being destroyed as well. And I said, but I know that the Lord has put them there. He is preparing to bring them into the covenant relationship as a nation. And I feel totally obligated to pray for them. Above any other nation on this planet, above America itself, I believe that it is right to pray for Israel. I believe that it is right to evangelize Israel. It is right to support Israel because God has done it. I'd be working against him if I didn't do that. You know, as bad as I feel for the people on the other side of that border that are being killed, okay, 
they're human beings and it's a terrible loss of life, just like 2,000 people in Afghanistan, I feel a special bond with Israel because of the word of God and because he is the covenant-keeping God who will perform just as Adam Clark said, because he is Jehovah. His word cannot fail. Pray for the peace of Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Okay, so um, uh, where was it now? Okay, so you see that. And we'll go back, and some people say it's the Vatican. Some people say it's the church in general. Some have taken it to mean a poetical or prophetical description. This is Charles Ellicott. Imagine this. He, 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 he can't, only like 150 years ago, I mean, the Zionist movement has probably already started, I believe. I, I may be wrong on the years of his life, but it wasn't that long ago, like Adam Clark and like uh, John Gill. But this is his analysis of this. The, the uh, Antichrist is going to sit in the temple of God claiming he is God. And he says that is a poetical or prophetical description of usurping divine prerogatives generally. That's his answer to this. Because he, he can't accept that there's going to be a Jewish nation again that will be God's people. He can't accept it. And so I'll read it one more time. Don't ever forget these words because I'm going to give you a test on them someday. A poetical or prophetical description of usurping divine prerogatives generally. So there's some guy out on the street and he's saying, I'm God, and that's who he's speaking of. That's basically what Ellicott's saying. Could be anybody on any street in America that's crazy. Whatever. These and other analyses were based on a misunderstanding that the church had somehow replaced Israel, or that at best, there would never be a temple of God in Jerusalem again. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, is that in Revelation chapter 11, he gives a mirad and he says, go do what? Measure the temple. You can't measure a poetical and prophetical description of a crazy person. Verses and meters. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't they have a temple stored over there? In well, they, they anointed the first stone for it, and that got stolen, so they anointed another one, and they've got it hidden somewhere, and they have most of the temple implements there, and uh, at the time, when we were there, and Zvi was speaking about it, he said that there was one thing lacking. This was back in 2003. There was one thing lacking, is that they needed to know the correct cubit to build the temple because there, there are different cubits that are known uh, from antiquity. And he said, everything is laid out. They can print off exactly the specifications from a computer that fast if they have that cubit. That's, and this was V that was saying that. And he says, everything is ready, but they don't know the, the proper cubit. And so they may just end up building one with whatever cubit, I don't know. but. Uh, uh, like I said, that was that was years ago. Maybe they know what cubit they want to use now. But he said they know everything that they need to know to put this. And you don't need, here's another thing, you don't need to have a temple immediately. Remember Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah, they just went up and started sacrificing at an altar that they had erected. Okay, so uh, this whole thing about needing a uh, red heifer, Every year they bring it up and you have to send them money. You keep sending the Temple Institute money for this. Every year they got a red heifer. They've done this since 1995. We've got a red heifer this year. And people keep sending them money for this stupid red heifer. You don't need a red heifer to have a temple. There's nothing in there that says that. The red heifer came in numbers. The tabernacle was built back in Exodus. Okay? That's for cleansing from, uh, you know, when you are in battle and you touch a dead body. 
you don't need to have that for the temple, but they keep, they, they're trying to get people to send them money so they can, you know, just string things along. Don't get caught into that kind of stuff. One, you don't need a red heifer. Two, you don't need to have a temple. They can go up and start sacrificing right away. Okay, just like they did at the time of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. But a temple will be built, and it won't take long to do it once they have the signed agreement. As a matter of fact, I'll bet they know the agreement's coming. Big, probably, TV all over the world. Peace! Peace, right? When there's no peace. They, they, they got the, the peace coming. Right? What is the rest of Israel going to be doing knowing that they can build a temple? They're going to be cutting blocks. That thing is going to be built so fast that people won't even believe it. They're going to get up there and they're going to have a crane up there putting blocks up there so f or maybe not. I don't know, you know, no sound of a iron tool they'll want to they'll want to do that. But however they're going to do it, it's going to go really quickly. Okay? So, we don't need to worry about that, but we're not there. Okay? We're not there. As long as things are the way they are today, we're not there. Tomorrow, it may start to be that way. We're not there right now. Okay. Um uh, however, it is understood from the dispensational model that the Jews do have another temple coming, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. It is clearly laid out there, okay? And that is now possible with Israel back in their land. It is possible. It wasn't possible before, even though Adam Clark and John Gill absolutely knew it was going to happen because they didn't just say there's going to be a temple built in the land of Israel. They said the people the people are going to be back in the land of Israel. There's no point in having a Jewish temple if you don't have Jews at the temple. Those men knew because they believed the word of God. All right. The temple implements are ready. I know we saw them right over there. Okay. Back in 2003, they did not have the uh, headpiece for the high priest at the time. That was being made while we were there. And they actually made that a couple years later, which they, you know, the gold one that says Kadosh Yehovah on it. Yeah, okay. That, that is now made, but it wasn't made when we were there. Um, this is actually in accord with, here it is, Revelation 11, verse 1, where John was told to measure the temple of God. One doesn't measure a universal church or a poetical, prophetical description. The Vatican doesn't sit in Jerusalem, Okay. When he said, your people and your land to Daniel, he was speaking about Israel, Jews. He wasn't speaking about the Vatican and a Roman. Okay? So, doesn't sit in Jerusalem. Paul's words combined, combined with those of Daniel and John clearly indicate a rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem. It is in this temple, thank you, that the Antichrist will sit as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That is Paul's words. To sit in the temple where only God was allowed to reside is to claim the authority and personage of God. Okay, here we go. In Hebrews, it says that there is no what implement in the temple. It's inferred. It doesn't exactly say it. There's no chair. Well, that's right. There's no chair. Okay? And he, he dwells on that for a little while in the book of Hebrews. They're always about their business. There's no place to sit down. There's, I read a commentary years ago. The first couple words of it were so beautiful, I didn't need to read the commentary. The title was, He Sat Down. Jesus Sat Down. Right? When he finished his work, it says in Hebrews, he sat 
down. What does that mean? He is God. He is God. Because the temple had no place for anybody to sit. And yet the Lord said, this is my resting place. Right? To be among the people of Israel. Jesus sat down. The point is that he is God. If he sat down, he is God. This guy is going to sit in the temple of God. Sitting means he's not doing anything for anybody else. He is waiting to be served, not serving another. Get the point there? Okay. Will they make the ark as well? No. You mean, oh, you know what? I, I have no idea. I, there are 10,000 conspiracy theories that they already have the ark or that it's under the Temple Mount or that, you know, uh, what's mm -hmm. that guy, the lunatic, Ron Wyatt, everything. He, 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 only thing Ron Wyatt didn't find was Jesus' graduation certificate from <laughs> high school. Okay. He found Noah's ark. He found Sodom. He, you know, anyway, everybody's made claims about it. Um, it does say, uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. If they have the ark, if they know where the ark is, all of these things, you know, I don't know that. They will not make another ark. No. They will not. And later in Jeremiah, it says they will never mention the ark again because they'll find out someday that Jesus is the, the fulfillment ark. of the ark. The ark is just a piece of wood covered with gold. That's all it is. It's got staves in it. It was carried around by people. God does not need to be carried around by people. Now, that's not saying Jesus won't get in a palanquin and have somebody carry him. I don't know. But, you know, the point is that it's just a, a representation of Christ. Everything about that temple, everything pictured Jesus. Every single thing pictured Jesus or his work. So uh, whether they have an ark or not really is isn't relevant to me right, um right. but just a uh, curiosity yeah now there is one thing that i i read a commentary one time i don't know if it's true you know people write things and they make it up but it would be interesting if it is true is that uh, i think it was titus or uh one of the romans uh or maybe it was even back at the time of the maccabees anyway i i, I i'm going to give you what i remember but i don't remember the details Somebody, it may have been at the time of the Maccabees, they went in they desecrated Epiphanes. might have been Antiochus Epiphanes. He said, I demand go, to go into your holy place. I said, you, you can't go in there. That's where God dwells. And he walked in there, and there was nothing. The ark was already gone. And he's like, what is this? Our God can't be seen. We're worshiping the God that can't be seen because there was no ark to represent him anymore. Now, I don't know if that's a true story or not, but it's kind of profound that they would, uh, you know, this guy would walk in demanding to see whatever's in there and there's nothing in there. Just whatever. Anyway, um, uh, and that could be a not true story too. It's just something I heard years and years ago and I haven't heard it a second time. So um, anyway, um, uh, where was I? Okay, sitting in the temple of God. To sit in the temple where only God was allowed to reside is to claim the authority and personage of God. No priest is said to sit in the temple. That's ever. There's no furniture for sitting down in the temple. There are duties to be conducted, and then there are to depart. But no such furniture exists for the priests to sit down. Only in the Holy of Holies of the temple was there a place of rest. This is where God dwelt above the cherubim, on the mercy seat, above the ark. The high priest would enter behind that veil once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. But other than that, there was no sitting of any kind involved in temple duties. None. They never had a chance to rest in that temple. 
okay? For the Antichrist to sit in the temple, it will be his claim that he is entitled to sit there because he is the one who, Paul's words, is God. As it is known that Jesus is God incarnate and Jesus is Christ, then this must be the Antichrist, okay? He doesn't call him the Antichrist, but he must be, okay? He will make a false claim against the true God who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. My guess is, and I, you know, I, that's going to happen at the mid-trip. The Jews are going to find out that this guy, that they got sold a bill of goods, that they followed the wrong guy, and it's going to be after that. The Jews are going to rebel. They're going to say, you know, he's desecrated the temple, and things are going to devolve from there. Okay, that's just a guess, but that would be my speculations. That right at that time frame, things are going to go. And then Israel's going to have to take the warnings of uh, Jesus, where he said, flee to the mountains. You know what, that which has been will be again. That which has been done will be done again. They had to do it in AD 70. They're going to have to do it again. They're going to have to flee to the mountains. They're going to have to hide because, as he said, it, it is going to be a time of catastrophe on this earth that if he didn't cut those days short, nobody would survive, okay? Isaiah says he's going to make man rarer than fine gold. Zechariah says that two-thirds of them are not going to make it through the tribulation period. What we're seeing right now is very small, little preparation. It's another step towards the end times. But what is coming upon Israel is going to be catastrophic because they will want to reinsert the law when Christ has fulfilled the law. When I say they are low ami right now, they are low ami, not my people. Okay, that doesn't mean that they are not God's people. Once again, make sure you understand there's two things going on here. They covenanted with him at Sinai. They have been brought into the covenant. They agreed to it with their own mouths. And so when they disobeyed, they came under the curses. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say something. I, I'm going to cite Kyle in this week's sermon. Just one, one verse. But Kyle will say something so incredible that when I read it, I couldn't believe that a Bible scholar would say it especially a guy that comes up with pretty good theology from time to time. It's not any major point of the sermon. You have to pay attention when I say it or it's going to go right past you. It's only a couple words. But he said something that I could not believe that a Bible scholar would say. It, it, it just it, He probably wasn't thinking. He didn't drink his coffee that morning when he wrote his commentary. But it, 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 I'll tell you essentially without saying what Kyle said that the Lord made a covenant with Israel. The Lord will never, ever violate his covenant. Okay, essentially what Kyle said. I, I, I don't want to misquote him and attribute something that isn't exactly correct. But basically what he said is that the Lord dismissed his covenant. He, he rejected his covenant, something, something, and uh, in this perspective. The Lord will never do that. When the Lord put them under the punishments of Deuteronomy 28, was he rejecting his covenant? No, he was fulfilling his covenant. Either he is going to be right with Israel because they're right with him, or he's going to be contrary with Israel because they are not right with him. But he has kept up his covenant. He will never violate one precept of his covenant to those people. So when they're under punishment for 2,000 years, it is because he is covenanted with them to do so. If you don't believe it, go read Deuteronomy 28. Every single thing that has happened to the people of Israel, collective Israel, is because God kept his covenant, not because he didn't keep it. And when Kyle said that, I just couldn't believe that he would, you know, think through before you type something because it's important. Um, but uh, so they're not his people, but they are 
his people. There's an overarching R with a current right now, no. Got that? Okay, that's, that's the answer to that question. So uh, it's important that we remember that because they are not right with the Lord and we should be evangelizing them just like a Muslim, just like a Hindu, just like a Democrat. Okay, we should be evangelizing these people because they need Jesus. Okay, um, let's see here. Um, be his claim he's entitled to sit there. Uh, yes, he will make a false claim against true God who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. So life application only only the dispensational model of biblical interpretation can properly explain what Paul's words are referring to in these verses. Only. Covenantalism, there's nothing wrong with believing that God made covenants with Israel, and covenantalism goes through them, but they, they stop at that. Covenantalism is not the end of the game. It's just a part what God is doing. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Adam. He made a covenant with, yes, uh, uh, Isaac. He repeated the one to Abraham to Isaac and Jacob. He made a covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai. He made a covenant with David. Those are part of the Bible. I can't deny covenantalism, but it doesn't stop there, okay? Replacement theology doesn't do anything. It just destroys the Bible. Dispensationalism is the only model that says the Bible has a bigger context than this, the law, becoming this, the church, with no cohesion between the two. It says that this is going on as a part of God's redemptive plans. Everything fits into a proper position, a category. The boxes don't overlap. They're separate, okay? So, um, only dispensational model of biblical interpretation can properly explain what Paul's words are referring to in these verses. I've said it eight million times. I'll say it now one more time and then maybe I'll die. Um, when you do not have a dispensational model and you take Jesus' words and Paul's words, you will always have a contradiction. Always. Because Jesus, when he's speaking to uh, Israel in Matthew 24 and what Paul says here in these verses, not talking about the same thing. They are not talking about it. He is talking about what is going to happen to the people of Israel at a certain time in their history. When Paul is writing, he's writing to a Gentile-led church. It doesn't mean there are Jews in it, but it is a Gentile-led church. It's a completely different entity, and you will have contradiction. No ifs, ands, or buts. They will contradict. The dispensational model says, here's why you are wrong in that. This and this are not to be mixed. They're separate categories. The Gentile church is not the Jewish nation, okay? So, um, uh, without accepting that, Israel is Israel, and that they have an actual purpose in the end times, like that guy today, verses such as this must be allegorized, spiritualized, or misapplied. I'm talking about Paul's words, which is exactly what did uh, Charles Ellicott do? He spiritualized it. He allegorized it. He did anything. He certainly misapplied it. He did anything but say there's going to be a literal temple in a, among the literal people of Israel. Okay? I, I love Charles Ellicott. I love his commentaries. I read them every day of my life. But he got this so wrong. It's just incredible. Okay. Um, you know, and like I said, we could say, well, he, he was alive before Israel was reestablished. And so we can give him some grace to a point. But when John Gill and uh, Adam Clark get it right, the grace really doesn't. I'm sorry. They held to the word of God. 
All right. Uh, when one understands that the nation of Israel and the Jewish people as a whole have been returned to their land for the culmination of the ages, the timeline comes into focus. It all makes sense. That guy, what I'm talking about is some guy was uh, talking to him and he was saying, they were talking about praying for Israel and, you know, and he goes, they're toast. Yeah, they're you're, toast. They're They've been out. There is no Israel. There is no Israel and it, 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 complete replacement theologian. Israel of today is an aberration. They're not true Jews that you have to make up every possible thing about Israel to deny that they're really in the land that God promised them exactly when he promised that he would do it. it just You have to just close your eyes and say, I don't believe this word at all. And he yeah. was the deceiver that said, Everything in Revelation has happened already. Yeah, that's that. That is <laughs> oh, what you funny call. We should be doing this. That's tonight, a praetorist. A praetorist right. is a person that believes all prophecy has been fulfilled, with the exception of the return of Jesus. And what we're doing here, this this is what I talked about two weeks ago. What we're doing here right now in the church is bringing the world to a state of completion, fullness, and the world will all be. Uh, basically almost Eden-like, like the millennium, and then Christ will return. If you believe that, if you believe that the church has that ability, we can't get out of our own way on Sunday morning. There's not two churches on this planet that agree on everything, okay? Much less two people in any church that agree on anything. It is impossible for this church to make anything good on this planet. Only the Holy Spirit can do it, and it ain't going to be through this church. We're going to be taken out of here. Okay, and then they're going to go through the end times and then God is going to come back and he is going to present himself in the person of Jesus Christ and this world will go into the millennium. And that's how it's going to happen. All you uh, got to do is look at the news. Yeah, that's right. Every that's right. Any day. Yeah. Uh, but when one, uh, yeah, the nation of uh, Israel, the Jewish people as a whole have been returned to the land for the culmination of the ages. The timeline comes into focus. The verses make logical sense and God's plans are properly understood. It makes sense. I mean, there's, there's nothing about the dispensational model that says this doesn't make sense. Nothing. Okay, now people say, well, I, I don't believe in dispensationalism. Then you, you're not making sense because it, Amos 9.15, just go read that and defend why Amos 9.15 is wrong. Defend it. Tell me how that verse can mean anything other than what it means signed by the Lord thy God. Okay, do we have time for one more? I hope so. Two, five, because I don't want to do just one verse. Yeah, we're going to have to rush. Okay, go ahead and read it. We'll try. Don't Two, you six. remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? No, that was it? That's it. We'll make it. Okay, let's see here. Um, uh, where was that? That was 2-5? Uh, yeah. Okay, i got to turn the page. Um, do you remember that when I still was, was still with you that better read that again. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Okay, um, two, six, two five. Uh, Paul now takes time to upbraid the church at Thessalonica, and he does it in the form of a question. Further, in a change unique to this verse alone, he switches from the third person to the first person. Whereas he was saying we, to include Silvanus and Timothy, he now departs from that in his zeal to correct his audience and says, I. He begins with, do you not remember? It is a way of saying you obviously did not pay attention. Jesus used the same type of questioning in order to rebuke the disciples, such as in Matthew 15, 16. Let me take you there just to see what he said. Um, oh, you of 
unbelief or something like that. I don't know. Let's hear Matthew 15, 16. Um, I cited it. I might as well read the thing. Matthew 15. Come on, Charlie. 15, uh, 14. Thin pages. Okay. One more. They're really thin. And I got a bandage on one of my fingers, so it's hard to grab things. 15, 16. Um, uh, are you, oh yeah, are you still so without understanding? Do you not understand that whatever enters a mouth? Okay, so in one of the translations, he says, are you so dull? Okay, yeah, don't you get it? Um, that's a great set of verses. Somebody emailed me about that, uh, you know, the food and all that. Um, uh, these things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Great verse. Somebody sent me a question on it this week, and I typed up the answer to it, uh, which I never saved things like that, but this time I saved it. So now I don't have to retype it again. It, um, uh, but it's not really what people think he's saying there. Uh, you have to kind of pay attention there. But anyway, um, that's a side issue. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, third, uh, he, yeah, do you not remember? Uh, Paul has done it elsewhere as well, such as in his letters to the Romans and to those at Corinth. Now, having chided them for, not, for having not remembered and for instead having become shaken by someone's introduction of false doctrine like that girl in Israel that said we had entered into the tribulation period uh, in 2005, which this is a really long tribulation period. Um, uh, see verse 2 that we read. He goes on to say that when I was still with you. So he's saying something that he said directly to them. I was with you. As noted, he speaks here in the first person. I personally was there. And I personally instructed you on this matter. The frustration in Paul is obvious. He wanted to, he wanted soundness of mind for his beloved brethren, but they had instead been disturbed in their thinking because of the introduction of incorrect information. I can empathize with him here. The situation here is similar to that of the book of Galatians. False teachers had come in and introduced false doctrine. In its reception, the church in Galatia had started down a bad path, okay? Law, 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 law observance. I just typed up uh, uh, Acts um, 21, uh, we'll say like 23, something like that yesterday, where Paul is um, uh, in Jerusalem, and they say, go pay the vow for these four guys, right? And he said, these are the things that we talked about back at the Jerusalem council. No eating strangled things, no blood, you know, no sexual immorality. Four things, okay? I typed that one yesterday. That has a lot less to do with things than people might understand, but the whole point was no law. No law, okay? Law is what brings about the imputation of sin. If you and I are under law, when we break the law, we're counted sin, and therefore we lose our salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that is not the case. Okay, false doctrines. In its reception, the church had started down that bad path. Paul spent an entire letter attempting to get that heretical nonsense corrected. Now he's writing a second letter to Thessalonica in order to do the same. And to finish in the verse here, he says, I told you these things. The word translated as told in the Greek is in the imperfect tense. In other words, I repeatedly told you these things. He said it, and he said it, and he kept telling them, this is what's coming, pay attention, and they got it wrong because people were writing them letters to confuse them, okay? The use of the imperfect when read by the church would be an embarrassing moment for them. Paul had spoken of the end times as a core part of his doctrine, and one of the things he told them that it would probably be a long time before the Lord returned. Further, 
before the day of the Christ came, I'm sorry, further, before the day of Christ came, certain things would precede it. This is what Paul is, I told you these things. The day of Christ is not going to come, and until you see these things, it hasn't happened, and you're not going to be here to see these things because the gathering happens before that. So don't worry about him, don't worry about that, and certainly don't worry about that. Certain things have to happen before the day of the Lord comes. If everybody would read this and think it through, make little diagrams if necessary, and like I said, we got one here, but I hate to get ahead of myself and get into verses 7 and 8 too early. But to see this laid out, it's just go home and do it. Read these verses and make little notes and then just make a diagram. It will be very clear. Okay, um, if they had paid attention, they would not now be unsettled. The same imperfect tense used in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 4, when reminding them that they would face tribulation. Paul and those with him didn't just tell them this, they told them it often. The same is true of his words of end times events. The entire thought of this verse is reminiscent of Hebrews 5, verse 12. Okay, Hebrews is written to the Hebrew people, but there's obviously something that I thought about at the time that uh, kind of matched it. So let me see if, oh, I've got to go back this way, Charlie. Um, 2 Thessalonians, okay, Hebrews. Somebody to teach you. It, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. That's what it is. He says he can have compassion on those who uh, go, uh, 12, 512, thank you. Um, uh, for the, though by this time you need, you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Very good, Burke got that. First principles of the oracle of God. Uh, they are things which people hear and which they should pay close attention, but they instead take brain naps while the instructor is imparting his wisdom to them. In this, they're only harming themselves. And Paul was very adamant about this, and so uh, you have to pay attention to things, but more than that, you need to read the Bible and you need to not go with presuppositions. Don't go with things that you were taught implicitly. Remember them, but don't say this is what the Bible says because you've got that already in your head. You want to say, what does the Bible say? Does it match what I have heard? Because if not, you're doing what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. They, they heard the word and they just say, that's what it means. Think it through, okay? Life application. It is a real problem in Christianity today that people do not carefully read and study God's word. People selectively pick and choose what they will read, or they simply listen to teachers who do not have the best in mind for their hearers. Thus, they become unsettled in their doctrine, and they are led very quickly down wayward paths. It's truly heartbreaking to see the amount of confusion over simple, straightforward doctrines. And this is as simple as it gets. As complicated as it is because we have to explain it. If you lay it out, go home and lay it out. Take these things and make little notes and do a, a diagram and you will find out that this is actually very, very clear, okay? Uh, don't trust me, just go home and do it and see if it matches what we're gonna go through. Um, uh, the timing of the Lord's coming for his people and the events which follow that are carefully laid down for us if we will but open the book and look. But I will still say this, if you believe that Jesus is speaking to the church in Matthew 24, what I'm telling you now won't make any sense at all. If you believe that, if you do not hold to dispensationalism, then this will make no sense at all. 
But this is Paul's words. Paul introduced the doctrine of the rapture. Paul is the one that defines the doctrine of the rapture. And nothing concerning the rapture will be contradictory to what Paul says. Nothing. If there's something that doesn't match what Paul says, it means you are taking it from the wrong dispensation. There's no doubt about that. Okay? But, once again, I could be wrong in this. I could be wrong that Jesus is speaking to the church in Matthew 24. And if he is, then everything I've taught you tonight is wrong. So you have to decide, who is Jesus speaking to in Matthew 24? If it is to us, then don't listen to me anymore, because I'm completely wrong, all right? I do not believe that. I do not believe that Jesus is speaking to us when he's speaking to Israel. We, we haven't replaced Israel, which is a huge problem with a theology. If, yeah, so Heavenly Father, thank you. We finished just on time. Thank you, Lord. Uh, we just love this word. It is so precious, and it's so wonderful to look into the events of the world today and see how things are lining up. And it could be a while more. It could be tomorrow that things really take a change. We don't know. We'll leave that in your capable hands. All that I, as the teacher tonight, believe is that you have spared us from what is coming on this earth. These events that we're talking about tonight will come about after our departure. And if that is true, then that is wonderful news. And if I'm wrong, then I would apologize in advance to the people that have been led down the wrong path. But with all my heart, I read your word as a dispensational model that says that these things are happening in the sequence provided. Lord, thank you for allowing me to teach. I, I just would not want to purposely mishandle your word. Thank you for everybody that's willing to learn it and to go home and check for themselves. And Lord, we once again lift up all of the issues that we brought at the beginning of this class before you. Please be attentive to them and be uh, glorified in how they turn out in the end. And we know you will because you are the God. You are the God who sees all things and knows what's coming. Thank you for that assurance that we possess. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <sighs> okay, let's back that up and say goodbye to folks here.